0: Hello, New Jersey Devils fans, and welcome to the Locked on Devils podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Julia Kender, and I'm here to bring you the latest and greatest in all things Devils news, opinion, and analytics. Don't forget you can subscribe to Locked on Devils on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you receive your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Okay guys, today's episode is going to be so much fun for you. I I had so much fun recording it. Um, I had Chris Wassel on the show and he just offered so many insights and some great, great stuff. So Get ready to listen to a really fun, good podcast because I'm really happy with this one and really happy with the type of uh, information that Chris Wassel kind of brought and his perspectives. Welcome back to Locked On Devils. I have Chris Wassel with me who is a contributor for All About That Jersey and my NHL trade rumors. Um we're going to talk to him today about a few different things, so stay tuned. Okay Chris, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing excellent. It's a it's a nice sunny day in South you know, South Jersey, so no one can
0: ever ever complain when it's 50 degrees in the middle of the winter so no, we'll take it yeah i uh don't have that luxury i just got back to chicago for school so it's about 30 degrees here and snowed yesterday
1: we don't yeah we don't know what that that's well actually no i can't say that because uh, last weekend we did a little bit of snow and ice storm but it's not it's not really much, so it's not It's not the same. I'm, I'm used to two- and three-foot snowstorms when I was a kid, so I remember it well.
0: Um, okay, so let's jump right in. Um, I have a few trade deadline things, some coaching staff things, um, and then some prospect stuff. So let's start with trade deadline since that's coming up. Um, who do you expect to be moved at the deadline?
1: Now, this is the thing. with With the new... With the new quote-unquote regime that is in place, at least as far as uh, you figure, you have, you have you have Fitzgerald, you have you have Marty, and you have Dan, Dan McKinnon. McKinnon is sort of the how, how can I put this? He's the sort of behind-the-scenes strong arm of what may or may not happen uh, when it comes to the trade deadline. One of the big issues that some fans have had, and rightfully so, is we really don't know who is going to be moved at this point. Uh, we have some names out there that definitely could have to be considered. One, of course, is Sammy that That's going to be one one of the bigger names. Uh, I know on uh, Frank Servielli's uh, uh, trade bait chart, he's the highest ranked devil at eighth, which usually if you're in the top ten of his chart, you're at least around a 50/50 chance of, of being traded uh, after that you know, it starts it starts it starts to go downhill I mean the Devils have kind of gone on record over the last couple of weeks and said that Kyle Palmieri is likely not to be traded but again if you can get the right offer for him uh, ie Boston, especially if Boston cannot get Chris Kreider, uh, they're, they're, they're going to go back at least through and see which options um, typically tickle their fancy. And after that, then it's just a hodgepodge of who, who knows at this point. We know that Travis Zajac Travis has, has said, no, I do not want to be traded at least once just in this trade deadline season we don't know how many other times that's happened um we do know that several months ago lou amorello approached him um at least then and then about a month ago and has probably about five or six times since um you know even from lou's uh little general manager sent with the toronto maple leafs so he's a name that you have to look at um if the right offer came Andy Green's
0: way, would he would he waive his cause? And these are a lot of questions that still have to be asked yet. Yeah, um, it's really weird because like this season, I feel like has been really weird for trade rumors, um, especially. And you never know with the way that this Devils team has been doing. Like you never know who will waive and who won't. Like they're no trade clauses um and then that brings me to the question prospect wise who do you think we can use as like a little bit of a incentive to latch on to different offers
1: now now this was a good question because people have asked this for a while it's like well why is our development so poor and well it may not be now at the very least, you're starting to see some players with, with the Devils that are showing signs of, hey, maybe, maybe we were wrong about that. Obviously, the biggest one was McKenzie Blackwood, actually. That that was the biggest concern. I know I know people will talk about Pavel Zaka until, until we're blue in the face, but the biggest concern overall in the Devils organization over the last couple seasons was McKenzie Blackwood because people had said, and it was not a secret, that Blackwood could not move laterally once he was down on the ground, and that was a huge issue. Uh, This was not something that was taken lightly. Uh, Many, many people in the Devils organization actually thought that we have a bust on our hands, again, in the goaltending position, which is something that you absolutely cannot have uh, if you're the Devils. And very fortunately, he actually went down to the ECHL and made this quote-unquote meteoric rise Really, it was just he went back and started looking at his fundamentals and made adjustments accordingly with, with, with coaches. And that is the biggest reason why he's made the rise that he has, is one or two simple adjustments that allow him to scramble when he's down. In not, not so much a butterfly, but the hybrid position that he plays. Uh, again, you're looking at players that could offer something in, in a trade as far as prospects. Zaka's is not going to offer much at this point. Although, if you found the right team for him, it could it could be interesting. Um, and it's a name. And he's a name that has not been really floated out there. But at some point, as the trade deadline approaches, you may may see his name just as a, pen, especially as a penalty killing and defensive center specialist, because that's really what he is at this point. Um, you know. People expected so much more. Uh, but that's it that's one name to look at. After that, you know, pros I mean again, prospect wise, there's not that much that we can dangle necessarily. Uh, you know, Devil's just acquired Nick Merkley and they're not going to trade him.
0: No. Especially
1: <laughs> especially with the start he had in Binghamton. This was look, Merkley was one of those players that everybody could see, hey this guy may not be a point every other game player in the NHL, but he's probably darn close. It was just a question of, you know, can can he stay healthy? And, it was, and a bit of the same rap with Nathan Schnarr, too. You know, could these two guys stay healthy? It's why Arizona thought they could part with them as pretty much expendables because of uh, injuries and inconsistent play. And they've been nothing but... Excellent for Bigginson has been a big part of, of, of their recent winning streak. Uh, after that, you figure, you know, Michael McLeod isn't going anywhere. Um, Nathan Bastion isn't going anywhere. Bastion's had an excellent year in Bigginson, and rarely anybody talks about him other than well, Jeff and some some of <laughs> us were over over at all about the jersey. Ironically, uh,
0: I talk about him sometimes on my show. Uh, I'm a big sometimes. fan of Nate Bastion. <laughs> Um, He went a little lower in the draft, but he's been doing really well. Yeah, one of the biggest things
1: with Bastion's game that people often realize is just because they think he's really big, he's automatically physical. And kind of the joke is, and he's even said it, it's like, yeah, I know, I have to be a little bit more physical on the ice. And what he is, he's an extremely annoying pest to play against. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, again, I mean, you're looking at some of these names, and it's like, okay, nobody's going to want Brandon. I, I fought the law, and the law won back. That's just that's just not that's not going to happen. Um, you know, for, as as a good example, uh, Nikita Oktoyev was just signed to an entry level deal the other day, so probably not not him either. However, you know, you could look down the road at guys like maybe even like a Matt Tennyson for a, for a team that's looking for a sixth or seventh defenseman, perhaps. Uh, you know, in, in that role, he's still—he's not a prospect per se, but he's a—he's a guy that's in the minors that could be just traded away for—for for, you don't want to say spare parts, but at least for to get something, and in, in a deal as a sweetener. Um, you know, you, you start, maybe a,
0: maybe even perhaps, and, and this is this is a little bit more far
1: fetched. Uh, maybe a marrying Stuhec. Um, although Studenick has been considered about the middle as far as the hierarchy of Devils prospects, the Devils were a little bit down on him this, this year. They, they expected more, and he really, through not necessarily any fault of his own, has not delivered at all. So there's that. They could always dangle like a John Hayden at the deadline just to get something you know, to sweeten a little bit maybe even a Colton White. Colton White's on the last year of his deal, too. So they're may they they're not sure if they're going to bring him back just yet, although it depends on who you believe. So There's not much in the way that the Devils could really use to sweeten uh, the pot at this point. But at the same time, there's at least a couple guys they could thank.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely agree with the John Hayden thing. I mentioned that, I think, yesterday, actually, that he might be somebody that leaves um, at the trade deadline. Um, so if the Devils were to make a big move, who do you want them to get? I mean, at
1: this point, any move any move the Devils try and make from a, from, a, from a seller's standpoint, it's going to involve, involve the all-important first-round pack. Mm -hmm. after the Taylor Hall deal people can talk about it until they're blue in the face Um, for the timing and the circumstances it wasn't a terrible return and it turns out at least two out of the three players so far um, either we were given some awfully bad information particularly about about Kevin Ball um, or that the Arizona "quote unquote" writers were way off on them. Most most prospect guys were a lot higher on ball. Um, which, you know, fortunately for us, then Arizona writers seem to give give uh, particularly Merkley all well, credit for it. So we made out in that sense. We got a first round pick that maybe who knows might be somewhere in the ten to fifteen range if. Hey, Arizona can go from first to fifth in their division in a week. Which is is of immense benefit right now. Because it won't take much of a losing streak for them to fall fall out of the playoff race. Uh, they're, they're hanging on by a thread. So that that's good. Um,
0: but as far as big returns, it's going to be one of two things. It'll, if it's
1: batting in, you you may net a first round pick. And uh, If it's Palmieri, you might know. The first-round pick is really the biggest thing for this year, Um, not so much from a player standpoint. If we can get a decent prospect out out of the deal in addition to either one of those players, that would be great. But at this juncture, there is going to be too many teams that enter the market where New Jersey will have to be careful when it comes to dealing.
0: No, I completely agree um, that prospects right now and picks are more important than somebody like a veteran um, who can improve now. Because the Devils, I don't think, are going to make a playoff run. Um, They could pull a St. Louis Blues and shock everybody, but I don't think that's going to happen with this team. And I agree that picks are definitely something that they're going to be looking for um, more so over a player right now. Um, let's switch gears here. Um, let's talk a little bit about Elaine Nazruddin What What are your opinions on him so far, and how he's handled his interim position?
1: It's been interesting, to say the least. For for one thing, the devil, Devils the Devils are not dulling. They're not. They're not limit. They're not limiting chances. That's for sure. I think. I think before the coaching move um, with Heinz, I think their their high danger chances per sixty were like eight and a half, and now they're somewhere near twelve allowed. Which is a look. That's a mind boggling number, and it's part of why uh, Mackenzie Blackwood has had to have been so so good a net for New Jersey, uh, much better than mo- most. In the mainstream may may or may not realize. Now, are they generating more scoring chances? Absolutely, they definitely are. Uh, their scoring chances are, are up at least a good ten to fifteen percent from where they were under under Hines. Uh, if you look at uh, Sean Tierney's site over at Charting Hockey, the Devils before Hines were literally one of the most dull teams in the league, next to the Detroit Red Wings, which can't generate anything it was pretty sobering it's part of the reason why even some writers who won't admit it because you know, they, 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 they stake their phony baloney beat writing jobs on not saying anything had thought as soon as the end of October that Hines probably should have a very short leash or be fired uh, the fact that he was fired as late as he was probably submarine the entire season that's, that's the stark stark reality and the unfortunate reality of what happened in New Jersey. Now, Nazarene has employed somewhat of the same systems or attempted to defensively, but in a different way. Um, it, it's intriguing because really like their overall special teams numbers have not improved. If anything, the power play's gotten worse, which is, is a huge concern. Five-on-fives improved slightly, which has helped. And again, the goaltending, the goaltending has improved. It's bounced, it's bounced back, at least enough to where uh, you know, New Jersey can be competitive. But basically, since the initial week-and-a-half stretch that Nazarene took over where everything was in flux, the Devils are basically a 500 team. So that's not going to get them in the playoffs, uh, that, that's for sure next inevitable question is is Nazarene the ideal coach for this team going forward after the season and the answer is probably no uh, they do need to look around I mean obviously Gerard Gallant unexpectedly getting fired from Vegas uh, sent a jolt into the Devils coaching search and now you have the question of do they have to at least talk to Talk to them. They have to. Uh, or they may be doing that now, and we just don't know it yet. Uh, that's one name you have to look at. And then there's the usual list of suspects and, and you know, former players and former coaches that you would look at. But Gallant is the ideal candidate for this team right now uh, for, for what they need, and especially for development. Now, would I keep Nazarene back in his old role? That's a good question. I, I really could not give you a straight answer other than I think that assistants lower than him are a bigger problem than, than Nazruddin. And that's become apparent actually with John Hines being dismissed. So I, I might actually be attempt, attempt, you know, say, hey, if the new coach that does eventually come in decides to keep Nazruddin around. I wouldn't be as opposed to it as I was, say, when John Hines was still coaching this team.
0: Okay. Um, well, you answered my second question, which was who you think would be, the who you would want to be the next head coach for the Devils. Um, somebody else that I've been thinking of is, and I don't know if he would fit in with the Devils, honestly, but Peter LaViolette, um, because I know he's like, He's not great with developing, but he's better at developing than John Hines was, in my opinion. Um, and he's just kind of a no-nonsense coach, um, which I think the Devils kind of need someone to be hard on them right now. So he's somebody else that I was thinking of. What do you think of Peter Laviolette?
1: Laviolette is, is is not always very good from an X's and O standpoint. But the big thing with him is, this is important. He does not screw around. He will not hesitate to make a move. He will not hesitate to hold somebody actually accountable. Uh, sometimes fairly or unfair. And you, you at least need that a little bit. With, and you need that especially with the devils right now because that's something that... It, it does seem like a little bit of a case of the inmates are running the asylum. Like the Jersey yeah and right know that's right now that's okay. I mean short term that, that, that's not terrible. But going forward, you're going to need a coach that a does not mess around B holds players accountable and C gets results. And Lay that's a guy that could get results. if if the devils are ser- serious, at least from an ownership standpoint, and wanting to have an accelerated retooling process, then your two guys pretty much right now at this point are Gallant or Laviolette at this juncture. Now, could other names emerge? Sure, but right now those would be your, your two front runners at the moment.
0: Okay, I have one more question for you, and this is more um, about Jesper Boakfast, who was sent down to Binghamton um, on what's presumed to be a stint for the bye week but could be longer. What? Uh, how long do you think he's going to be down there, and what do you think he'll get from Bingo?
1: The biggest thing that Boquist is going to get from Bing, from Binghamton is the playing time that he needs. Uh, look, John Hines did not handle him well. There, there's just, you, you, you can't do uh, much worse than... All right, well, maybe you can, because we all know what happened with AdWords and Peter DePort. Uh, but... you you look at Boquist's numbers, they weren't they weren't terrible given the ice time that he saw. uh, To be honest. Uh, 10 minutes, basically 10 to 11 minutes a night and a lot of nights of single digits. We'll we'll mess with the player at least a little bit. And his last five games in New Jersey were ugly. They really were.
0: And
1: and they were punctuated by a game where he played only nine minutes against Tampa Bay and then less than eight against Columbus. And you kind of knew at that point, it's like, okay, they're going to send him down. But he showed enough moments, at least up with the big club, that, hmm, you know, this, guy's, this guy's pretty good. He's got some speed. He's not afraid to hit hit or be hit. And, hmm, it's not all that, it's not all that bad, you know, of... It's not, it's not a dire situation with him where you have to worry about, okay, if we send him down to Binghamton, it, it, is he going to perform at the level where he could be called back up? And he could be. He could be called up very soon. But ultimately for his development, and some will disagree with this, I think the longer he stays down there at this point, the better off he is. Uh, you know, he's, he, again, he's getting top six minutes. He's able, he's playing much better down there because he's getting the minutes. He's getting more shots on goal. He's getting more scoring chances. He's doing the things that the team wants him to do. He already can play pretty solid defensively because of his speed. So there's that. Um, If I'm somebody that's listening to this right now, and I'm a little bit worried about him. I absolutely not only would not be, I, I wouldn't even wouldn't even bat an eye. So, it's just a, it's just a question of time with him. It could be a few weeks and then, he, then he's back up with the team. And especially if, say, like a guy like Hayden's move or a guy like even like Kevin Rooney's move. Uh, I mean, you could see Boquist up sooner rather than later. But, the the Russian backup at this point given that he's averaging nearly a point a game thing I think and making some high reel. It seems like it seems like every game that I watch of Binghamton now, he's making some kind of highlight reel move. It may not necessarily result in a goal, but results in a chance that you go, "Wow, I mean, maybe he did belong in the NHL, and just wasn't given the proper chance the first time around." It happens to a lot of players, and he's the first to admit that there were some things that he could work on, and he's working on them in Binghamton right now.
0: Yeah, and I think that the confidence that he's gaining to make these plays is going to be so crucial for him when he comes back to the NHL Um, because it's not that he was playing safe before, but he's making plays, like I agree, in Binghamton, that you didn't see in the NHL when he was up. So I think that the confidence is also going to be really uh, crucial to his development.
1: Yeah, he was. He it looked a little bit too much like he was scared to make a mistake, a la John Merrill a few years back. Where literally he was so. And I, and I remember the game that people were, were saying, "Well, how, what's one shift that you remember?" I was like, and I said to him, "I was like, very simply, there was a shift in a game against Detroit where literally Merrill sat there in his own zone for about forty to forty-five seconds and could not make a pass. He, he literally froze on the ice, and." Then,
0: Three weeks later, he, he he people said he was going to be on, and sure enough, he was. Wow. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, your insights were great and really helpful, and I just really appreciate this.
1: Uh, it's, it's never a problem, Julia.
0: So that is it for me today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Special thanks to Chris Wassel, who took the time to talk to me, um, and he was just great and offered a lot of insight. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this one. I hope you got a lot out of it, and I will talk to you on Monday.